Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hey friends, this is not another one of those typical business podcast interviews. There are no actionable tips, do this, do that sort of marketing advice or tweetable sound bites of the kind that you're used to anyway. This conversation is instead a meditation, a conversation with a teacher of wisdom about all the bigger, sometimes uncomfortable questions that so many of us life coaches, in my opinion, really crave to spend time with, the kind of questions that pull us in, but we don't really get to contemplate them often enough. So so here it is. Questions like, when you as a Western coach are holding your spiritual retreat in Bali, how do you take responsibility for the exploitation of natural resources and humans around you? What is ethical marketing? What is our responsibility to those we market to beyond delivering the product we promised? How are you taking care of the needs of yourself as a human being versus the needs of your business? Is it true that anything you want, you can just fix and improve yourself to achieve it? Is it true that transformation is completely up to the individual? If freedom doesn't mean you can bend reality to your will however you want, then what does freedom mean? And what do we life coaches do with that? And what does it mean to not just see your client, but also see the economic and political patterns that they're a part of, like what race they are, what socioeconomic class, whether they're a single parent or whether they have access to healthcare? My guest today, who's here to raise all of the uncomfortable questions, is Hiro Boga. She's someone that I consider a teacher and a truly an elder in my lineage of teachers. She's actually considered an elder by lots of luminaries in the creative entrepreneurship space. Among her students and mentees are figures like Danielle Laporte, Alexandra Franzen, Jennifer Loudon, Pamela Slim, Leonie Dawson, the list goes on. Now we get to be her student. Go ahead and listen and prepare to be challenged, provoked, and also expanded. So I'm curious about what it is that you and your friends and your clients are Kind of, I mean, we've, we've made such a mess. Our generation has made such a mess of the world. Um, <laughs> no, we have. You know, we have, we've kind of postponed making the really hard decisions about getting out of a capitalist mindset and into a mindset of service. We've avoided making those decisions for a long time. And that means that it's you folks who have inherited the whirlwind. So if there are things that I can be helpful to your community about, I would love to talk about those. And I would also like to learn about what it is that is really important to you and your cohort, you know, the people who are of your generation and your community, because I feel like we really owe you. <laughs> what, what, what do you think you owe us? 
We owe you so much, you know, we owe you whatever we can give from our own experience, from our learning, from our mistakes, from the messes we've made to support you because it's your generation that's going to have to do a lot of the cleanup. I mean, I just turned 71. I'm not going to be around for a lot of what is going to happen over the next 30 years. But you guys will, and your children will, and your children's children will, you know. So, yeah, you tell me. You know, I I hit record while you were talking because I just figured this is, listen, this is, the, this is the conversation. We're just going to jump in right here. And yes. I have tears in my eyes listening to you talk, and I ask myself why. And it's not because the world is in a terrible place that I have tears in my eyes. I think it's because I feel in the presence of so much wisdom. And I think it's rare that I feel just in the presence of wisdom because so much of my community, and I include myself in that, we are so busy chasing knowledge and action. And when somebody just starts speaking wisdom at us, <laughs> it's a little bit like, wait, what? <laughs> mm. And I can feel my energy. I can feel my soul get quiet. And then I am instantly kind of zoomed out to the bigger questions. And I love that you just got us started on this conversation, on this path. Because I think that just hearing you talk about you know, what you just said is going to be so illuminating for my community because we're busy talking about what we're busy talking about. We're busy problem solving and what we're problem solving. We're not, we're not seeing what we don't know that there is to see. And what, we, what I think a lot of us in life coaching, in the, this construct that we call life coaching, which I love this construct, and we can be a little bit what's the word? We can be a little bit like um, like a fish in a pond about it. We can be a little bit tunnel visioned and echo chamber. That's what I was looking for. Echo chambery about what we think is important, the kind of conversations we have, what we think is irrelevant, right? Like, cause you just started yeah. talking about the state of the world and how to fix it <laughs> and to, and the kind of generational responsibility. And you talk about your generation's responsibility and us young people, you know, I'm 34 and a lot of those in my community are in their 20s and 30s and, and 40s, younger, we have a responsibility too. We have a responsibility to yeah. zoom out from the myopia of the capitalistic mindset that we inherited from your generation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and of course, you know, we inherited it from, yes. from our ancestors and so yeah. on. Yeah. But there is there's not only um, the possibility of change, but there is an imperative of change because what's going to happen? Like you're 34 right now. What happens when you're 64 and the air, you cannot breathe the air? I mean, I, I grew up in India and the last time that I was in Delhi, I couldn't breathe the air there. I can here in Canada. But what is happening now is going to affect everybody across the globe. You know, so far it has affected primarily 
poorer countries yeah. more than it has richer countries yeah. in some ways. I mean, there, there are other prices that are paid by people uh, in North America, for example, or in Australia or in, you know, Europe or Korea, South Korea, for that matter. There, there is a price we pay for everything. Every choice that we make has a consequence. And so many of the choices, you know, it's interesting. This whole profession of life coaching didn't exist when I, for much of my career, it, it just wasn't there. It yeah. Only I don't know when it began, but I remember hearing about it at some point in the 90s, I think. And it is very much a profession that caters to a certain privileged class. If I think about people in Bombay, where I grew up, who live on the streets or live in slums and work at, you know, a day job and have maybe 20 people crammed into a 12 by 12 sort of little hut, life coaching is not going to do anything for them. So what what those of us who have this kind of privilege have a responsibility to do is to use that privilege to serve those who don't have that kind of privilege. And to do it, we have to maintain a certain level of self-care. So that is necessary. It's a necessary part of creating the kind of life that is nourished internally so that service comes out of the overflow rather than out of depletion. So I think part of what happens here is that people kind of divide themselves up into we're the spiritual crowd and so yeah. we make no money and you know we wear jute sacks on our feet and <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 mud in our hair and and we're holier than thou and 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 then the opposite side of that, it's all about money. I'm going to buy these Jimmy's shoes at, you know, $1,500 or $12,000 or whatever it is. It, neither one is a balanced or responsible relationship with our own lives or with the life of our planet, right? Yeah. So to me, Part of what you do is make it possible for life coaches to make the kind of money that will support their lives and support their families and then support the world in which we live. Because they're all interconnected. You cannot get away from the fact that if you fly halfway across the world to some magical retreat in Bali, that you are contributing to the decimation of glaciers in the Arctic or in the Antarctic or to or just exploitation climate collapse. Yeah, or to people in Bali. You know, that there, there, there is... So I think part of... of 
part of being a marketing coach is recognizing that what you have to teach has to do not just with what has traditionally been thought of as marketing, but it has to do with teaching how to be in right relationship with your business, with your customers, with your marketing. And that means laying out the consequences of the choices that you make in your business, how you treat your clients, how you treat your staff, how you, what it is that you contribute to. So if, for example, your marketing is contributing to the belief that you can have anything you want and that you are entitled to have it, regardless of what's happening in the rest of the world, then your marketing is unethical. If your marketing is pushing the notion that if you don't have, if you don't consume this or that or the other, that your life is going to be poorer and more miserable and more unhappy, that is unethical marketing. So, I mean, we all know what ethical marketing is, right? We know it. We are human beings. So we have an innate sense of what is right and what is not. And it's not about right and wrong. It's, it's really about looking at what are the consequences of my actions? And are those consequences contributing to greater wholeness and integrity? and cohesiveness in the world, or are they contributing to greater fragmentation, greater division, greater polarization, greater discrepancies between rich and poor, between haves and have-nots? You know, everything you said so far makes me profoundly uncomfortable, and I hope that it makes everybody who is listening well, not everybody, but makes a lot of people listening also profoundly uncomfortable. Because I think our, our responsibility right now is to make ourselves uncomfortable on purpose. I don't think, I don't spend that much time thinking about what the air is going to be like in 30, 30 years intentionally because it makes me very uncomfortable. I think I spent time thinking about ethical marketing. And actually, that's one of my things, like marketing integrity. You know, And I choose not to spend more time than the, the little time that I'm spending thinking about the consequences of my decisions on global inequality, because it makes me very uncomfortable. The more, the deeper I think about it, the more complex, complexly I, I think about it, the more there are big, scary questions that I'd rather just not think about. So I don't think about them. And I think the, the life coaching industry in general, just kind of we bury our head, heads in the sand and we don't think about a lot of questions that are hard to think about. I didn't grow up in India. I've never been to India. And I don't live in a third world country. And I grew up in a prosperous environment. But the memory of war and poverty is not far from me because of my heritage and the country that I live in. Mm -hmm. And so the pl place I live in, it's just undergone such extreme change 
from like the ravages of war and abject poverty to what we have today, that it's that cognitive dissonance in my mind of like the reality of what life is like for so many people on earth and the kinds of things that we have the privilege to think about and dream of and pursue, that cognitive dissonance is very uncomfortable to hold in our awareness. And therefore, I think we don't spend nearly enough time holding it in our, in our, in our awareness. And I think as uncomfortable as your words make me, I always follow you and I study your wisdom because it gives me hope that just be, I don't know how to, how to solve any of this. And I don't even know what the answers are in terms of what my role is or, you know, how I move forward from here, but you do point the path, the right path, which is the path to right relationship, the path towards integrity and wholeness, which is like a word that you taught me years ago that I keep coming back to, like in this fractured world, in my fractured being on the inside where I'm just like not looking at certain things and I want to just go la 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 and pretend they don't exist. And in my internal cognitive dissonance, in all of this imperfection messiness, I can still be in pursuit of wholeness and just take the next right step towards it. Right. Yeah. The thing is, there is no such thing as perfection, right? We're right. never going to get this perfectly right. And it's part of, because it's so hard to change cultures, it's like trying to move the Titanic around, you know, turn it around, right? It is hard to change cultures. And things have to happen in some ways sequentially. Yeah. They can't, you know, if we're thinking about the U.S. election that's coming up in, in less than a month now. I live in Canada. I'm Canadian. I'm Indo-Canadian. And what's going on just south of our border is complete insanity. But you can't change all of it overnight. You have to first vote the current administration out of office, get a transitional administration in that is at least has basic integrity and upholds the ideals of, of a democracy, and then look at how you can address each particular issue, you know, defunding the police, uh, health care, universal health care, universal basic income, poverty, homelessness. These are all specific issues that every country has to deal with. But more and more, countries can no longer just deal with them within their own borders because mm-hmm. what happens in one country affects yeah. the whole globe. The economy is global. You know, you yeah. you said earlier on that you you are wondering what my generation is thinking about, what we want to talk about, what we're concerned with, and I think this mm-hmm. is this is it. I think that hey, this is a marketing podcast for life coaches. I think life coaches should vitally concern ourselves with you know with, with these questions of democracy because we owe our industry we owe our, our owe, we owe our business model we owe our philosophy to democracy we couldn't help people 
pursue their dreams and all of the other good stuff in the absence of democracy, it just can't happen. And so it's our moral and professional obligation to do what we can to keep uphold and defend the institutions of democracy. Right. it's 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 not only that, Simone, it's also that, you know, as life coaches, you're in the business of transformation, right? Yes. Yes. And you cannot effect transformation if you buy into the myth of individual transformation. Yes. There is no such thing. Every single one of us is embedded in multiple ecologies and every one of those ecologies has its effect on us and we have our effect on those ecologies as well. So if we're not thinking about that, I mean, I remember last year I had a client who, I mean, her life was so difficult. She was a life coach and she had a really, really tough, tough life. I don't want to get into any more than that because I don't want to uh, impose on her privacy. But she kept thinking that it was, if, if she could just get the right strategies and the right this and the right that, that her business would fly. And the reality is that her business might fly, but she would be a mess because Mm -hmm. what she needed and what her business needed were two different things at that point. And that's where sequence comes in. You know, that's where understanding the structural pieces that impact our lives and understanding how those structural pieces work and what needs to happen both to get the kind of support that you need from, you know, government agencies and and other institutions that are supposed to support people. In addition to that, she just really needed to create some spaciousness and some rest and some quiet and some calm in her life so that she wasn't trying to do everything all at once. And once she had that done, then she could go ahead and build her business. But because she could not allow herself that sequence, she was just spinning in this, and I see this with so many people, yeah. is this notion that somehow everything has to happen at once. You know, right, right, I, right, right. I've, I've now come out with, from life coaching school with a certificate, and my business should be making, you know, $500,000 a year. Why can't I when so-and-so can? Right. <laughs> well, you'll get there if that is what, your soul has planned for you. But if, in fact, in this lifetime, your soul's trajectory is about something else and making, you know, having a a multi-million dollar business is not part of that trajectory, it's never going to happen. And people hate hearing that. They really dislike hearing that because in this culture, the assumption is, that you can have anything you want. Mm. You just have to fix yourself so that you 
Don't you think that's yes. a very Western idea? You can have anything. It is a very Western. <laughs> we're both Eastern in different. We're from the Eastern world, so to speak, and we don't think that way. <laughs> no, we really do not. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an absurd notion. You know, I um, think about. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, it's it it is an absurd notion, and yet it dominates the industry. It dominates the life coaching industry. Let me ask you, I'm really curious because I have my own mm-hmm. thoughts on this. How do you consider the idea of sort of freedom and possibility, which I, I love, the, you, you call them qualities. I love the qualities of freedom and, and infinite possibilities. But I think it, channeled in the Western sense, I think Westerners think that that means that I anything should be possible. I can go make anything happen. And I think Easterners, okay, we're using very crude categories here, but I think Easterners have a different understanding of what freedom means and what possibility means. I was, I'm so curious about your thoughts on, on what you make those qualities mean. Okay. So first of all, soul qualities exist both in the realm of the unconditioned and in the realm of the conditioned. So let me just define those terms very briefly. When I'm talking about the unconditioned, we all have our being within an ecology that includes essence and unity in one aspect of that ecology and our particularity, who we are as people, as specific persons, you know, your particular nose, your particular ancestry, your particular way of being in the world, the things that you love, all of that is part of our ecology. But the unconditioned self is the self that is not an incarnation. The conditioned self is the self that is an incarnation. And in this world in our planet, this planet is defined by boundaries and limits. So there is nothing on this planet that is unbounded. There is no such thing as an unbounded life form on this planet. People get mixed up. People get really kind of turned around when they confuse the two, when they think about unconditioned qualities within the conditioned realm. Mm. So, for example, when you said freedom, freedom is a quality of soul, and it exists in the unconditioned realm. In it, Within our incarnation, it exists to the extent that we embody that quality mm. within ourselves. A possibility is not a soul quality. Possibility, it's a, it's a space, it's a space of potentiality. It's not a quality, it's a space. It's a kindergarten question. What, what's a soul quality? How would you explain that to somebody who's never thought in those terms? Well, okay, so soul qualities are qualities that belong to our souls. So they are inherent within us. So we already they have may, them, we can't do anything. We have them. It. We can't lose it, but we may, they may remain dormant as seeds mm. or mm. potentials that never get actualized, mm. right? Mm. And because we come into incarnation 
with a certain karmic history behind us, we come in with certain of those qualities more developed or less developed. Mm -hmm. And for each of us, that's different. And in each incarnation, it's different. So part of understanding how to work with soul qualities is understanding what they are and then experiencing them. You can't intellectually grasp a soul quality. You can experience it. A soul quality like freedom, for example. Well, why don't we do this? Every soul quality is a pattern that's held by a deva, that's held by a subtle energy being whose only job it is to hold the pattern for that that quality, which is the quality of essence, right? Mm. So freedom, if you just take a moment and drop into the core of your body, close your eyes, drop your gaze down into the cavity of your body, and just imagine that there is a great big interactive screen, like a touch screen out in about a foot and a half out in front of you in front of your forehead and place the word freedom on that screen. And first of all, simply notice what you think you know about the word from seeing it. You know, is it in kind of giant block letters? Is it in cursive? Is it, does it look kind of wobbly? What does it look like for you? Um, are you and then, oh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I mean, your, your listeners are going to go through this on their own as well, but it'll be useful for them to hear. Yeah, what it, it kind of appeared to me in these small case serif letters, and then they turn into these like colored block letters, and then they kind of swirled amongst themselves and kind of blew up. I don't know what happened. Okay. All right. So what, just go ahead and, you know, you're in relationship with this word as well as with what it actually means. So ask it to tell you what that whole dance was about. What was it doing? Yeah, I think. What was it trying to show you? It was telling me like, you're trying to think about me. Like it's you're trying to think about freedom in an unfree way. Like you're trying to, kind of put the concept of freedom in a box and dissect it and like, you know, write a report on it when it's part of your being. Like, I mean, that's what you said, but I'm I'm seeing it's like, these are the letters in in this, in this font. And it's like, no, I'm not a font. I'm not these letters. I am a quality of being, Hey, you have it right now. And then the letters went poof. (laughs) That's what I felt. I was like, wait, why did it disappear? What happened? Why did it go poof? (laughs) Well, there you go. So go ahead and just let all of that, let your whole screen disappear. And then think about something or someone whom you love deeply and truly. So deeply and so truly that you just want them to be themselves, even if that's not what you're comfortable with. Yeah. 
And then let that love flow from your heart out through your whole energy field, arms with all around you. And we're going to invite the Deva of Freedom to come meet you just outside the boundary of your energy field. So about four feet out in front of you. And remembering that even though this Deva holds the pattern for the quality of freedom wherever it, it exists, that pattern is also held within you because mm -hmm. it's the quality of your soul. So there is a place where you and the Deva of freedom are connected. Mm. And devas exist in a field of love. So when you fill yourself with love and extend your love to the deva of freedom, it allows you to make a connection. Just let go of anything that you think you know about what freedom is. Wait, you're so and you're telling me it's not about the freedom to make a million dollars in one month and buy all of the things. <laughs> and well, it is, it is. It, I mean, if that's, if that's how you choose to use it, you can. And there are circumstances in which yeah. that might be the most helpful thing that you can do for the mm -hmm. planet. But what I want you to do right now is just to experience what the quality of freedom actually is. This separate from your ideas about it, from the projections that people have placed on it, separate from all of that. If you scrub it clean of everything that is not the essence of freedom. You know, an image that just came to mind is like, I just imagine like a tree of life, you know, these veins extending out and me being connected to this sort of tree of life veins. One branch ex extends out to multiple branches and one of those extends out to multiple branches, right? And yeah. I feel like I'm infinitely connected to all of the possibilities just inherently. Like I belong in that web. Yeah. That's kind and of how that it feels. freedom, like to me that essence of freedom yeah. is also the essence of responsibility. They go together. Power and responsibility go together and freedom and responsibility go together. And responsibility, again, is another one of those words that has so much baggage attached to it. Yeah. But if you strip it of the baggage, it is just this it is really the capacity to enter into another consciousness, any other consciousness, and experience it and partner with it for a while. That is freedom. Allowing ourselves to meet another consciousness and enter into it for a while, that is, that is the core of the work of coaching, as it were. And I think... Hmm? Yes and no. I mean, just the you know? idea of it, no? Where, yeah, what do you mean? Sorry, go ahead. Now tell me what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking in order to coach effectively, you've got to hold two 
consciousnesses, you know, two awarenesses at the same time. Like you have to be aware of your own thoughts and your own mind, and you have to be aware of your of your client's mind, right? And so you have to be kind of hold dual awareness and to be able to, in order to help them create insight or, or whatever it is that you're helping them doing. Is that, mm-hmm. is that what, not what you mean? Because I was thinking that like as coaches, we're used to stepping into somebody's awareness and kind of like trying on seeing from their perspective so that we can guide them towards, I don't know, different decisions. Understanding you correctly? Yes. Yes and no. Okay. So I like your analogy of when you're working, if you're a life coach working with a client, you need to be able to empathize with them and understand right. where they're coming from before you can support them in moving into a different place in their own consciousness, right? So, yeah, absolutely. In that sense, you're holding an awareness of their thoughts and feelings and, and reality as well as of your own. But I would say that capacity, it, 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 it's one of the most important capacities to develop. Uh, years ago, I taught in an MFA program at the university here. And it was a year-long thing where one semester we did poetry and one semester we did creative nonfiction and one semester we did fiction. And with each one, I had them play with these different ways of inhabiting consciousness. So, you know, we're used to paying attention to human consciousness, or at least those kinds of human consciousness that we're comfortable with. So people who are similar to us in some way, either in their belief systems and their value systems or in their age or in their demographic or whatever, right? But most of the world is non-human. And the reason that we have managed to destroy millions of species, made them completely extinct, is because we have never developed relationships with those forms of life. We've never entered into their consciousness. Because Mm -hmm. once you enter into their consciousness, you get that their freedom is your freedom and your freedom is their Mm. freedom. That they may have a very, like a galaxy has a completely different consciousness than a human being, but its beauty and its complexity and its desires are as relevant and as important and as essential to the whole as that of any human being. So, What I think what is important is to get away from this very narrow focus of saying, you know, I'm a life coach, so I need to develop empathy for my clients and go, I'm a life coach. And so I need to develop the ability to enter into any kind of consciousness so that when I'm sitting in front of my client, I am not only tuning into their consciousness and their thoughts and their feelings but into the whole ecology in which they are embedded, into the ways in which their lineages affect what they believe and how they live their lives and where they get stuck and where their greatest source of energy and strength lies. I need to understand 
what the class situation is. I need to understand what it is when my client is, you know, a single parent with three kids and no health care, trying to make a living, trying to support this family. What are the what are the various what are the variables that affect that person? And all that practice in entering into many different kinds of consciousness, what that does is it allows you to see a pattern whole rather than a little piece of it here and a little piece of mm-hmm. it there and mistaking that piece for the thing that you're working with. I want to develop the capacity to relate to all that is around me, all that is alive around me, not just just be in the myopia of, okay, me, there's me, and then there's this person I know, right? And like everything that you said, I think it's, this conversation is waking me up to the the importance of, of being awake to that. Like you said, humans are that we see around us, we're just a tiny part of all that's alive, all the tiny part of all that, of the, of the, of the matrix that holds all of us. And we haven't given ourselves enough permission to even be curious about that. And listening to you, I want to cultivate more trust in myself that I can engage with all that. I can be more awake to it and that I can be in more conversation to all of it. I think, you know, there's a very simple, a really simple way to begin to recognize that we are in relationship with everything around us at all times. Wherever you are right now, Simone, and wherever those of you who are listening happen to be, just take a moment and look around the room that you're in. Or if you're outside, look around at the landscape around you. And then pick one thing, pick an object or a tree or a plant or whatever, depending on where you are. And just, again, tune in to something or someone you love. Feel that love fill your heart. And then extend your love and your appreciation to this object or this other life form. And be really specific in your appreciation. You know, so I am appreciating and loving this blanket that is on the couch beside me. And I love its weave. I love its color. I love the warmth that it provides. I love the aesthetic of it. All of these things. I love that it has its own sense of containment within it. Like it doesn't seem to need anything from me or anything else other than to be cared for and loved. And then feel the appreciation and love coming back to you from whatever it is that you have just extended your love and appreciation to. And take it in. And notice how you feel just by that one simple establishing of relationship with an object. 
and think about how much richer your world becomes when you truly take the time to slow down and connect with each thing in your environment, with each life form in your environment. It changes everything. You cannot be a destructive person when you make this practice part of your life. And then in terms of, you know, the larger context that you were talking about, that we were talking about, do your research, do your homework. There are two books that I, three books that I will recommend. One is called Donut Economics. So if you want to understand something about alternatives to the ways in which our economies are structured, this is, I'm not sure, I mean, there are many, many, many other books available, but this is one that the government of the Netherlands, for example, is using this model in their country to transform their economy. So it is one that is being actively used in certain European economies at the moment. So that's one. The other is Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a book about critical thinking. And those are two that I would highly recommend to anybody who wants to expand their ability to analyze information and to think about the things that truly matter and to think about how to contribute to a shift in the status quo. The third book I would suggest is mine, and it's To Be Soul, Do Soul. And it's it's just a set of experiments and exercises to engage in different forms of consciousness. Play with it. I am happy to have my team send you a link to the e-version of that book, Simone. Yes, please. And you're welcome to give it to your listeners. Uh, I just want people to be able to to learn these skills. These are meta skills and they're essential for living a truly human life. Speaking of books, I would also recommend Hero's other book. Well, I recommend everything she created, but especially the World of Your Business Playbook. That's what it's called. We're going to link to all of it. And listen, life coaches, I'm a student in this work. We can do this. (laughs) Whatever this is, this is our work. Just asking these questions and being open to this work in itself is big. It's important. And this is just the beginning of my exploration. We have big work to do. We have the re- we have responsibility to the next generation, even though we're still young at, for now. What we consider relevant to life coaching, what we consider relevant to business and marketing is not just going to change our businesses and our livelihood. It's going to change the world. So I'm so endlessly grateful to Hero for having this conversation with me. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to present this conversation to you because I really hope that it breaks open just n- brand new constellations of questions that you might not have asked yourself yet into new, new ways of, of seeing and experiencing and being in the world and being human that you might not have been open to yet because we 
are life coaches. We deal with life. This is what it means to be alive. Hero, thank you so, so much for being here. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It was really a treat to meet you, Simone. Hey, Hero has indeed so generously offered a complimentary download of the PDF copy of her book, To Be Soul, Do Soul, the recipient of the Independent Publishers Book Award. Make sure to grab the link in the show notes and on her website. You'd also be pleased to be able to meet the rest of her extensive body of work. Enjoy. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.